Hey, it's Andy. Welcome or welcome back to the Brownsbridge Church podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to download the Brownsbridge Church app where you can access all of our recent message content as well as find out more information about Brownsbridge Church. And the app is the easiest way to share this content with a friend. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Merry Christmas uh, once again. I I love this time of year, and uh, I imagine you do too. Um, That's one of the unique things about Christmas. Um, Everybody loves something about Christmas. That's not true of all all the other seasons throughout the year. Uh, But with Christmas, everybody loves something. I don't know what it is for you. Maybe it's uh, presents. Um, If there's any kids in the room, they're probably excited about presents. Um, maybe you love gift giving, just the idea of, okay, that getting that, finding that perfect gift for that perfect, perfect someone, you, you just, it energizes you and you look forward to that every December. Uh, maybe for you, it's, uh, decorations. You go all Clark W. Griswold with your home and put as many lights on it as possible, or, you know, get out all the extra inflatables. And in, in fact, if there's any grass that's, that you can see in your front yard, you're like, we need another inflatable. We gotta, we gotta fill up that space. Um, maybe for you, it's the family gatherings. You just love everybody being together and yeah, there's drama, but you don't care. You just love the conversations and the memories and the laughter and all that you experience there. Whatever it is, everybody loves something about Christmas, but no one, no one loves everything about Christmas. No one loves everything about this season. If all of us in here were honest, we would have something that we would share that potentially gets on our nerves about this season that maybe irritates us a little bit or wears us out or makes us uh, get to the end of December and feel worn out. Maybe for you, it's presents. The idea of having to uh, get that perfect gift for that perfect someone is, is something that wears you out and it stresses you out. And throughout December, you're thinking, oh goodness, I still don't have anything. I still don't have anything. And in fact, you're sitting in the room right now and you're realizing, oh, I still need to do Christmas shopping. Maybe for you, it's decorations. Decorations get on your nerves. Uh, If you see one more inflatable, you're gonna punch that inflatable right in the face, you know? Or, Or, you know, you don't have any lights on your house, but your neighbor sure does. And you know that because every night when you try to go to sleep, your your room is just totally lit up like the 4th of July because of the wattage that your neighbor is pumping out. You can't stand the decorations. Maybe it's the family gatherings for you. Maybe you look at December and you go, "Uh uh-oh, we got to get together with family. You know, you know who's going to be there, that cousin, that uncle, somebody, you know, and you just think about the family gathering and, and you have to really uh, get your energy up to go show up and be yourself at that family gathering. No one loves everything about Christmas. There's something about the season that you don't necessarily enjoy. And that's the reason why Christmas music is not entirely true. Christmas music doesn't do the best job of depicting reality because Christmas music makes it, thing, makes it seem like everything is silver and gold, doesn't it? Like all is merry and bright. It's kind of an idealistic view, um, a glass half full, a rose-colored glasses view of this season. I, I've got a, a few examples from Christmas songs that you all know. Um, the, the first one, Christmas Waltz, we, we sang this when we opened up the service, but frosted window panes. Candles gleaming inside, painted candy canes on the tree. Does that represent your house? 
I mean, some of us in here, yeah, we, we, we definitely could say it's pretty close, but most of us, it's like, ah, my house does not look like that. Um, here comes Santa Claus, uh, in, the, in that song, it says, bells are ringing, children singing, all is merry and bright. Is all merry and bright? Like, everything is merry and bright in this season? And are your children singing? Are they doing something else? My oldest two rode with me in the car ride uh, this, this morning up to the church. And of course, it was four or five degrees or whatever it was this morning. Um, they were screaming in the car the whole way up here because of how cold it was, telling me to turn the heat on. I was like, guys, you got to wait. It, the car's going to warm up. Just give it a second. Give it a second. Um, it's the most wonderful time of the year. It says it's the happiest season of all. And it talks about you know these, these really happy moments when friends come to call unexpectedly. Now, 50 years ago, you know, the doorbell would ring and you'd be like, oh, who's, who's at the door? And you'd, you'd run to the door and people would open it up. They'd say, hey, welcome, you know, come on in, whoever it was, come on in, come on in, have a seat. We'll get you a sweet tea. You can stay a while. That's not what we do nowadays, is it? What do you do when the doorbell rings? I think somebody just said hide down front. Yeah, you, you, you hide. It's like, well, you check the ring doorbell, don't you? That's what we do. It's like, check the ring door. Hey, shh, kids, shh, keep, keep it down. Don't make any noises. Somebody check the ring. See who it is. Is it Amazon? Probably. So again, it doesn't do the, doesn't do the best job of depicting reality. And here's one that's near and dear to my heart. Silent night. How silent have your nights been this month? Especially for the parents in here. Our, our twins were born 13 years ago, just a few days before Christmas, okay? So they were like 10 days old at Christmas. You know what we didn't have in Christmas of 2009? A silent night, we didn't. And I know this is a real shocker, but we really haven't had a silent night since then. 13 years later, it's, it's uh, not a lot of silence in our house. And then there's this one. Um, and this is where I want to spend the next few minutes of our time. Oh, come all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. Come ye, come ye to Bethlehem. Come and behold him, born the king of angels. Oh, come let us adore him. Oh, come let us adore him. Oh, come let us adore him, Christ the Lord. Now, this is one of my favorite Christmas songs. For years and years, this, this is one that I look forward to singing. But there is a part of this that doesn't do the greatest job of depicting reality. And it's the first line of the song. And it's the title of the song. Oh, come all ye faithful. As we were um, prepping for Christmas, thinking about Christmas, I was thinking about this song and I thought that's, that's interesting. Something about that phrase caught me off guard. And what I realized was that it sounds like the invitation is just for the faithful. Oh, come all ye faithful. Makes it sound like it's just for the people who have life together or who have obeyed or who have met the standard or have been able to keep life from falling apart. Seems like the invitation is just for the faithful. And um, unfortunately, religion can do this, can make us think that, that it's, you know, a relationship with God is, is just for the people who can behave and meet the, meet the criteria Churches can do this intentionally, unintentionally. 
They can make it feel like it's a country club and only certain people get in and it's really based on your behavior and how you've lived your life. And if you're not a Christian here today, not a faith person, that may be the reason why you've resisted church and resisted faith throughout the years is because someone made you feel like you weren't good enough. And so therefore you weren't invited. But interestingly, Jesus came to do the very opposite. And the first Christmas is one of the greatest examples of Jesus doing this. Because what he stepped into when he was born 2,000 years ago was not a bunch of people who had life all together and all the faithfulness in the world. But instead, we see in many different characters in the Christmas story, not the presence of faith, but an absence of faith. Not having life all together, but really life in a way being a mess. So I want to read through some of the different parts of the, of the Christmas account. And I want you to pay attention to some of the dysfunction, some of the lack of faith that was here. Matthew, the gospel writer, Matthew, he starts out his Christmas account with Jesus's genealogy, all of his family history. And you would expect that if the son of God was coming into the world, the, the, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, that you know, his family tree would be like, okay, really good person, really good person, faithful person. Yep, had it all together, had it all together, boom. And then Jesus comes into the world. But the opposite is actually true. You know, most of these names don't mean anything to us in Matthew's genealogy, but some of them, you can actually go back to the Old Testament and study their lives. And what we see is all sorts of dysfunction in Jesus's family tree. If you feel like your family's dysfunctional, you're in good company. Jesus's family was dysfunctional. As you look through the generations, you see people that really messed up and that minorly messed up and, oh, had a lack of faith here and didn't do the right thing here. Jesus was born right into the midst of that. The gospel writer Luke, he starts his uh, gospel account, his Christmas story, not with the birth of Jesus, but with the birth of Jesus's cousin, John the Baptist, who would later prepare the way for Jesus and his ministry. And John's dad was named Zechariah, and Zechariah was a priest, and um, he was in the temple one day um, uh, doing his job as a priest, and all of a sudden an angel showed up and said, hey, you're going to have a child. Well, Zechariah was very old, and his wife Elizabeth was very old, and, and so uh, his response was not one of faith. It was not one of, oh, I expected this, or oh, yeah, this makes sense, or okay, yeah, whatever, whatever you say. He responded like probably many of us in the room would have responded. He said, How? How could this be? And the angel of the Lord explains it to him and ends up saying, hey, actually, because you doubted, you're gonna be mute until the baby is born. So Zechariah leaves the temple and he's got his friends and family there and he wants to tell them this great news and he can't because he can't speak. The story goes on. A few months later, Mary gets visited by an angel. And the angel says, hey, you're gonna have a child. And Mary was kind of, in the opposite situation of Zechariah and Elizabeth, she was just a very young girl and was not married. And her response was not one of faith. She responded like you and I would probably respond. How? How can this be? How can I have a child? Really? And the angel of the Lord explains, no, here's what's going to happen. And this is going to be a really, really good thing. And then Joseph. Joseph finds out that his fiance is pregnant. 
which was problematic on several levels. Um, and Joseph doesn't respond with faith. He doesn't respond with, oh no, we're all good here. This is great. He, he actually says, okay, I'm gonna, have to, I'm gonna have to break off our engagement. I'm gonna have to figure out a way to, to kind of break this thing off. And then the angel visits him and says, no, you, you, your son is gonna be born and he's gonna be the savior of the world. So Joseph's initial response wasn't one of faith. It was one of doubt. And you got King Herod, the wise men travel. They know that, that a king is about to be born and, and they, they come into Jerusalem and King Herod finds out about this. And he says, oh, tell me, what are the signs saying? Where will this child be born so that I may go worship him? Which sounds like faith on the, on the surface, but we actually know the opposite was true. He didn't want to go worship him. He wanted to go rid the world of Jesus because he didn't want any competition for his power. Mary and Joseph are in Nazareth. They, they, they learn about the census, so they have to travel down to Bethlehem. Again, you're, you're familiar with the story, and they get to Bethlehem, and, and what do we always say at Christmas time? That there was no room at the what? At the inn, right? But interestingly, that's, that's not really the way it worked in the first century. It's, it's not like they had Motel 6s on the edge of town that people could stay in, um, it was, it was really no room in the town of Bethlehem. Mary and Joseph would have gone to, from door to door to door, knocking on the door saying, hey, can, can we stay in your house tonight? My wife's pregnant, can you help us? Is there any place we could just squeeze in just for the night? We'll leave first thing in the morning. And one door after another said, no, 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 can't stay here. You can't stay here. You can't stay here. What we see in Bethlehem is not the presence of faith. The absence of faith. There was no expectation there. No one was um, sitting there next to the manger, you know, going, drum roll, please. Here comes the king of the world. You know, joy to the world. You know, what Jesus stepped into at Christmas was not the presence of faith. It was actually the absence of faith. Now, I know that can sound maybe a, a, a bit of a downer. You may think, well, thanks a lot, Adam. Merry Christmas. That's a real, real Ebenezer Scrooge way of looking at it. Um, but here, here's the beautiful thing about it that I don't want us to miss today. The invitation is not, oh, come, all ye faithful. What we see in the Christmas story with Jesus showing up in the middle of our mess, in the middle of a world that was lacking faith and didn't have it all together, what we see is his invitation was come as you are. Mary, Joseph, come as you are. Bethlehem, folks of Bethlehem, you come as you are. Zechariah, Elizabeth, come as you are. Jesus didn't wait for the world to get its act together before he showed up. He showed up and love the world right where the world was. And that's good news for you and for me because that means he loves us right where we are today. So it's not, oh, come all ye faithful. The invitation is come as you are because he loves you as he finds you. Doesn't matter if you've been able to keep it all together or if you look back over this year and it feels like things have fallen apart. It doesn't matter if, if you feel like you've met the standard. You know, when you look at your life, you feel like, yeah, I've done good enough or I've, I've, I've you know, done the right things. 
or if you feel like you've fallen short. Wherever you are, God loves you as he finds you. And that's good news because if we're all honest in here, we're really a mixture of both, aren't we? There's times where we do really good. There's times where we feel like, okay, I'm, I'm doing good in life. I'm holding it together. And then there's other times where if we, if we were honest, we'd say, yeah, things are falling apart. Or at least I'm falling short. Or I shouldn't have done that. Or I shouldn't have said that. Or I shouldn't have been that. We're all a mixture of both. There's times where we stand strong and there's times when we falter. And the beautiful thing about Christmas, the beautiful thing about Jesus showing up in the midst of a bunch of unfaithfulness is that he was showing us that he'll show up in our unfaithfulness. He'll show up in those spots in our lives where we've fallen short, we haven't lived up, we haven't met the standard. Oh, come all you faithful joyful and triumphant. And, oh, come all ye unfaithful. Defeated, sorrowful, fallen short. Wherever you are, the invitation of Christmas has come. Come and behold him. Behold him, meaning see him for who he really is. He's not a dictator. He's not a judge. He's not a harsh ruler. He didn't show up just to tell us to get our act together. He showed up to save us. And he would punctuate that when he went to the cross for the sins of the world. And he promises not just to be our savior, but also to be our shepherd, our good shepherd that'll lead us through life that invites us, follow me, follow me, follow me. I will lead you to life abundantly. Come and behold him. See him for who he really is this Christmas. And when you do that, you can't help but adore him. Come and behold him and you will adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. That's the invitation this Christmas. Wherever you are, whatever your experience, whatever your history, whatever your past, present, future, come as you are because he loves you as he finds you. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your love for us. It truly is amazing how unconditional it is and how you genuinely love us as you find us. And thank you that that love is available to us year round. But God, there's just something about this season, a unique way, a unique way that you displayed your love for us in this season when you sent your son, Jesus to be born in the midst of all sorts of mess, all sorts of chaos. But that was kind of the point so that he could demonstrate his love for us and so that you could demonstrate your love for us. I pray that wherever we're at with you, with faith, with church, wherever we're at in our journey today, God, that we would experience you in a personal and specific way. We would accept that invitation to come and behold you today. In Jesus' name, amen.